I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, Glenn James here, just jumping on with this bonus episode. When we were over in Perth, our two local event partners, uh, Josh DeBuell from Finex and Alex Luck from Everest Private Wealth, we did a bit of a Q&A session and I thought, hey, I'll press record, we'll record it and we'll put it up as a bonus because there were some good questions in there. So thank you so much for coming out to Perth and I hope you get something out of this bonus Q&A. So we've got Josh from Finex. Anyone who's after a mortgage in the Perth area, Western Australia, reach out, go to Josh. He'll help everyone out. We've got a little case study with Rebecca Cousins. She's 21 years old. She's awesome. She sent a question in and I'm going to remind you what it was. Yeah. (laughs) So mine was more how to learn about your money. I am about to have a mortgage and I'm about to build a house, or I am building a house at the moment and I'm about to have two friends to move in and rent off me and how to learn how to sort out money regarding my mortgages because I've got a land mortgage and I've got a house, I've got a construction mortgage, I've got two different mortgages because that's the way that we did it. How to property sort it out when I have two friends that will be renting the room. So just that like just that I was just a bit confused how to sort that out. I've got two friends renting off me, but I've got two mortgages. And then I think firstly, when I got, when I'm already paying for land mm-hmm. at the moment. Are I'm doing the progress for the build? Yeah, I'm doing progress at the build at the moment. But my thing was that I didn't, I technically didn't really realise the interest rate, so the interest payment as well. I know that it was interest, but you don't really know it at the same time until it happens. So I'm getting I'm getting a mortgage taken out of my account and then I've got an interest rate coming out. And I was like, oh, my God. I was kind of – I kind of freaked out because I yeah. was like, oh, my God, I've, I'm like – I think I've got to get my friends to owe me money for rent, but – I was freaking out because I was like, I've got an interest rate to pay and that's on top of it and I kind of freaked out Okay, as well. There's a lot going on there and thanks for coming. I got got so many questions. I got so many questions. Let me. um, Can you rephrase Yeah, we can. Josh. I can can, can build from that. I just want to say first, can we give Beck a hand, 21 years old? I know. Like, so I don't care what anyone says, I'll always champion anyone killing it with their money at any life stage. So can you explain the process, Josh, how the mortgage world works first with the construction loan? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not uncommon, Beck, if that's yeah. okay, <laughs> for, for, so for, for people that go through a construction process to end up with two loans. 
Uh, the reason for that could be various, but yeah. most commonly it's because you buy the block of land first sometimes and then the build happens a lot later. So the bank may only give you the money for the land now because the build isn't happening until later. So that's why we end up with two, two loans. Yeah. Or it could be a, a structural thing. So a lot of questions we get around structure for, for debt. Yeah. Um, one of the most common things is what we call a, a split loan, or you have two different loans with two different interest rates. So you might have a, a fixed portion and then a variable portion, just purely to help mitigate some risk or some cost effectiveness. So a lot of people buy the block of land, they, they fix it, so you yeah. fix the rate, great. And then your construction component needs to be variable because the way that it's funded by the bank, they call it progress payments or just basically stages or, or you know, chunks, basically. So you might cost 200000 to build a house and they'll send it out in chunks, so to speak. Over to the builder. To the builder. Yep. yep. So the, they'll go out, put the slab down, they'll send you an invoice, say, hey, Beck, we've done the work, you'll go out, check it, hopefully make sure it's been done, sign the invoice, flick that through to the bank and then, then release that chunk of money to the builder yeah. and then your loan goes up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so during the build process, you're only paying the interest though. Yeah. So it's yeah. what they call interest only, yeah. usually on the build, okay? But then when you do get your mortgage that's fully funded, what I get, I get this question a lot from people. They say, oh, I had my mortgage come out every fortnight, but then they charge me interest at the end of the month. Like, yeah. how come the interest is on the loan? I've already paid it. I'm like, yeah, you have, but see, interest is calculated daily. Yeah by the banks, they compound it in the background, you don't see it, but then they only charge it to your account at the end of the month. Which freaked me out. Yeah, so you might think, shit, do I need to pay that as well? Yeah. No, you don't. Okay. You've already paid it in your repayments during, this is when your, your mortgage is fully funded. So you just make your payments and then the interest just goes on top at the end of the month. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was freaking out about. That's normal. Because I was like, oh my God, we have, I've got my like payments and then I've got interest on top of that. And I was like, if I'm going to have people rent my rooms out, I was like, I'm not really, it's no, so not with, benefiting with, it at with all. With your friends that rent, you yeah. pay the mortgage. Yeah. You make sure you've got money in your account to pay the mortgage yeah. and then get them to pay into your account as well. Don't rely on them to pay their share and you, because yeah. if they stuff up, then you're the one that's going to cop yeah. it from the bank. Yeah, exactly. So you make sure you meet your payments and yeah. then get them to pay you later as well. Right, okay. So question, so where's the house up to? Um, well, Slab's just gone down and brickwork just got – my bricks just got delivered today. So my brickwork's hopefully going to happen about in a week or two. So. Oh, that's good. you got bricks. Yeah, that's yeah, good. yeah. yeah. I got, oh, just. <laughs> and are you saying you're charging your friends money already? No. Okay, good. I was like, she's great. Hey, you want to move in with me? Yeah, it's $50 a week and then when you move in – They put a tent on the slab. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I've got a question for Josh. If somebody's out there who wants to buy a home – and have friends rent it a room, can we use the friend's income on the mortgage? From a, a budgeting point of view, so if you're doing your my money planner um, moving forward, you can factor that into your own monthly budget. From an assessment point of view, when you're qualifying or applying for the loan, banks ain't going to care about it. You've got to show that you can afford it off your own back if you're moving in to live in, um, which you've obviously already done, so well done. Um, so, yeah, you can factor that into your own budget and your own spending plan moving forward, but when you qualify for the loan, it's purely based on your income alone. Yeah. yeah. Has anyone here built a house from scratch? Yeah. So with the construction loans, so Beck might have had – did you use a mortgage broker? Um, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. So at the end – can you explain, like, is it worth 
once the mortgage settles and we're in the home, is it worth looking to your broker to refinance to try and clean everything up? With certain situations like yours, if your land loan's fixed, you're probably like locked into that period for two or three years. Um, But we've seen a flurry of that this probably, I don't know, era you could say, because when all the building grants came out last year, a lot of people really rushed into it. They probably went into a mortgage they weren't quite ready for. So what they ended up with was with the bank, um, like over here, we use Keystart and WA, where you can get a really low deposit, higher interest rate, but a great way to get into the market. So we've got a lot of customers that have gone in with key such they could take advantage of the, you know, that had up to $55,000 in grants at one stage. So they've built the house, got the grants, dumped that into the loan, brought their loan down so their equity is now quite high, which is good. And then we can refinance them into a, a mortgage at half the rate, so long term. Um, so yes, the short answer is yes, you should always look to do that because with the way the market's gone here in Perth, you should have good equity in your home as soon as it's built. So it's definitely worth reviewing. Yeah. And there's someone here that wrote a question in about Keystart. Does anyone remember if that was them? And I didn't put Keystart in the questions for the episode later because I didn't know what it was. So I'm like, I don't okay. know what that is. <laughs> it's a WA thing. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's a WA based. Australian thing. Correct. Yeah. So for those that might be looking at Keystart, is it worth using? I, I, th- I think so. If the argument is, do I wait till I save another $30,000, which might take me three years, or do I get in now with the grant? Because you can use that as your deposit if you're a first home buyer, and then you can build right away versus paying rent for another three years and saving. It's quite hard for a lot of people. So, yes, Keystart does have a higher interest rate, like it's almost double, if not more than double, the major banks. So that hurts. But during the construction, Keystart are quite clever. You only pay the difference between what your full mortgage payment will be. So let's say your full mortgage payment was $2,500 a month, but you still have to pay $2,000 worth of rent every month whilst you build. So they only charge you the difference. So they only charge you $500 a month during the build phase. So that's, that's quite, quite you know, work, so it works, they work with you. But yeah, long-term, being with Keystart is not good. So that's where we help people to, to get out. Sweet. Beck, do you have any other questions for a mortgage broker while you're up here? Um, honestly, I don't, I, cause I, I worked with a mortgage broker, so he helped me out. So I, all I can say is go with a mortgage broker cause they're going to help you out the most. If you go through it by yourself, then honestly, it's going to be well harder. So, but no, I actually don't because I've just, I actually had a text from my mortgage broker yesterday and he was like, we're, we're done. We're, he's done everything he needed to do. So he did helped. you get your grants? I got, I did. I got my grants. I got my grants. Uh, well, I haven't got it yet, but I'm qualified to get it. So you just got to trust your mortgage broker and have a good mortgage broker. And they're going to fight for you. Honestly, through this hectic time, it's fighting and they're going to fight for you. Um, can, hang on one sec. <laughs> I did wish I used Josh instead. Oh, I did not. So I did not put give, that give her a hand, everyone. Thanks, Beck. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are so pro mortgage broker, and and it's just <laughs> I don't you. put thank words you. in people's thank mouths. Thank you. Thank you. I put them in their ears. Um, so Beck touched on an important point about it's a hectic time out there. Tell We had a coffee this afternoon because I hadn't met Josh face-to-face ever. Just through screens. Just through screens and, you know, I vetted him and John and I had a Zoom call with him and put the pressure on and <laughs> a bit awkward but whatever. Um, you said today that you had a case just today. Mm. 
Give us an example of why someone out there who's looking to get into a home, they should use a mortgage broker. Tell us about the case today. Yeah, okay. It's it's probably going to sound a bit biased coming from a broker, but (laughs) the truth is the truth. So you can't hide it. We had a, I I went and signed this client's documents today. That's why it was fresh in my mind. We submitted her loan originally through through a major bank. um, And it took about three weeks just to hear back from them. And it was unfortunately a no. Um, They declined her loan application based on something called credit score, which is really a nice way of saying, we just don't want to deal with you. They don't give you any exact reason, which is really hard for us to then to fight it. So anyway, long story short, she had a 28-day finance clause on the property that she was buying. So we were already through 21 days of that. So we had a week left and we're like, what what, what do we do? So as as I guess as a broker, we get to deal with non-bank lenders as well. Um, So we went through a non-bank lender, um, AFG Home Loans, who we have access to. Lodged the deal on the Tuesday, got the approval on the Friday and signed up the documents to, like today because the documents come out instantly. So got the approval, signed the documents. It was only one day late on the finance clause. So we managed to get you know, okay to get it only one day late um, and she got the, um, got the property in the end. And I guess being so hectic with the turnaround times from the major banks, uh, it just using a broker, I guess, just gives you that uh, a bit of flexibility to weave through what you don't know because you don't know what you don't know. Uh, we don't have every single answer, but we know how to find it, I guess. So that's kind of the value of using a broker. So if you are out there and you are in Western Australia and you're after a good broker, you can reach out to uh, to Josh. Now, question, um, and sorry, I haven't prepped Josh for this. You know how I roll, I just roll, right? After paying all this crap that's out there, if someone is using Afterpay or Harm or anything like that, is, does anyone use it? I'm not going to shame you. Like, yeah, ish, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's one up the back. Okay, leave. No, joking. Um, <laughs> so if someone's using these services that aren't a credit card or a credit product, how do the banks see that? And is it a problem? So HUM is a credit product. So oh. certain certain things are, but I guess right. what you're saying, like Afterpay, um, when we use a bit of tech these days that it scrapes people's banks account, you have to give us permission. We don't just go and do it. Um, but that, that then shows up all these transactions and it also shows up if you're doing any gambling and all that sort of stuff as well. So when we then present your application to the bank, we have to categorise how you do all your spending. So things like Afterpay, it's usually for shopping or um, groceries or depending on what you're buying. So we just have to allow for that as an additional expense. Afterpay is not a credit limit. You normally only get like $1,500 or whatever as your maximum spend. So if we see those regular payments coming out every month, um, it might only be for a shorter period of time, but most of the, more often than not, people say, oh yeah, but I, I'm reoccurring that spend. So we just have to factor that in as an ongoing monthly, what the banks call living expense. And like I said, that bank um, statement technology that we use helps us categorize that. So we just have to factor it in. But it's more, most people forget about it. The other one is like your latitude or your interest-free cards. They bought a TV three years ago. They haven't got it anymore. They're still paying it off and they forget. But that's where we we do sometimes if we're a bit unsure, we can do a, a background check on their credit history. Yep. And that shows up all these little things. So yeah, that's you just got to make them aware of it. If, if anyone has a question for a mortgage reader, just put your hand up and I'll, I'll use the – oh, Max. Can you explain away like a big purchase like a rent of like a $40,000, $50,000 renovation as like a one-off cost? Yep. When you, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So usually around January, February, it's really hard putting customers' loans together because they've just gone through Christmas and there's a lot of one-off spending. They've got family coming in. They've had a couple of blowout big nights. So we would just normally um, categorise that as or comment it off as one-off. 
Or if it's too crazy, we just go to a bank that doesn't look at the bank statements. Oh, I love that. <laughs> They're my people. Again, why you use a broker? Because then you just get creative. David? Um, as a mortgage broker, would you know kind of the ins and outs of what the bank actually considers for your borrowing capacity? Kind of the hidden things behind the scenes and your assets, all that type of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, David, was it? David. David, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So obviously the short answer is it's not a square peg, square hole kind of situation, but in terms of borrowing capacity, every I guess the short answer is every bank is completely different. So you might be able to go online and do your self-assessment to find out how much you can borrow. Um, but in the background, there's all these different formulas and what the bank's called uh, a floor rate or an assessment rate. So this is the whole, you know, you see those videos on Instagram, like expectation versus reality, you know, those kind of things. So what you expect to pay for your mortgage is not how the bank is assesses it. So you might be getting a home loan rate of say 2%, but the bank's actually assessing you at 6%. So when they're doing, it's like a stress test because they need to make sure that you can afford it if rates do go up. So I guess the hidden myth behind serviceability, as we call it, is they're going to jack up how they test your rates and they're going to downgrade all your income. So, you know, in Beck's case, if she's got an investment property in the future, they're not going to take 100% of the rent. Some banks only might take 80% or 70% of it. If you're earning overtime or if you're a shift worker, they might only take 50% of that income as well. So a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I earn $3,000 a fortnight. Okay, well, how much of that is base income versus overtime versus bonus versus, you know, all those things. So that's where sometimes those online borrowing capacities can be a little bit misleading. So the short answer is every bank's different. Um, and to know about it, you just, about being biased, you just got to talk to a broker because then we can try and find the right bank that fits, if that makes sense, David. Yeah. All right. Sorry, I was just having a bit of a break. Uh, was there any other random, Alison, was it? Yeah, I remembered. Um, with that key starter, um, can you, if you already own an investment property, can you use it? No. When, okay. <laughs> when you have your own occupier. No. So no. key starter quite liberal in that you have to buy the house as an owner occupier and you can't own any other property because key starter government funded, they only have a certain amount of money per year. And that's why they're actually, I mean, full disclosure. So as a broker, the way that we get remunerated is we don't charge our clients. We get paid an upfront commission and an ongoing trail commission, right? So if you have your loan for 20 years, we continue to get paid for the services of being your broker. So we will be, always be in contact. With Keystar, after five years, they cut a broker's trail off. It goes because they want the broker to refinance that customer out because if you take the money out of Keystar, then that gives them more money to help more people. So they've only got a limited amount of money. So that's why they don't help investors, if that makes sense. Uh, Josh, how, and how good's this guy? We've just put him on the spot. Um, <laughs> I've got a question from a little Johnny here. Hello. <laughs> so you said no to Keystar if you've owned a property. If you currently own one. Yep. If you okay. owned before, you can go again. Yes, that's all right. Okay, so I own a property. Mm -hmm. Um, but my wife is looking to buy it. Or, sorry, not my wife, my girlfriend. <laughs> Whatever you want to call her, mate. <laughs> <laughs> my other, the other important person in my life. Um, can she go and do it? Or because I'm living with her, does that disqualify her? If she's going to go do it on her own and on her own income and her yep. own deposit and you've got no joint bank accounts and she's going to live there by herself when you yep. declare that on the application, she can do what she likes. Okay, perfect. So just declare your application honestly and correctly. And, and what's her name? Don't answer that. Don't answer. Uh, we might go one last. Any other broker questions? So just um, similarly to David's question, just in terms of um, making your assets look good, um, for a sole trader, 
um, because often in tax time they want to declare as many expenses as they can so they can pay not as much tax. But does that look bad when applying for a mortgage in terms of assets? Okay. Um, would you work with them to make that look good over like a Absolutely. A so the, the best time if you're a sole trader is right now because we always ask the accountant to send us through a draft set of financials at the end of June or a draft P&L statement so we can review it before you go and lodge it with the ATO. So if, if, you're in the, if you're in your own business and you're at this almost end of financial year and you want to plan ahead for your next purchase or your first purchase, get your draft profit and loss statement put together before your accountant gets really creative, you know, and that's that's their job, like nothing against what they're doing, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, going back to what you said before, Max, about like one-off expenses, like especially when the government brought out all these instant asset write-offs for buying a car or equipment for your business, if it was a one-off purchase, that can be added back to your income if you're a sole trader. So if you went and bought a new, I don't know, hairdressing chair or whatever it is, and that cost you $10,000, would have come off as an instant asset write-off for you if, if it was claimable, but then we can add that back to your taxable income for the purposes of your assessment in your borrowing capacity. So again, that's why get your accountant to prepare a draft, we can review it, work with them and see kind of how much we need to squeeze out of it to make it work before you lodge it with the ATO and then have to do a variation and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. So this is an example like this is why Josh is on my trusted mortgage broker panel in Western Australia because he knows so much. And if you are listening to this and you're anywhere in Western Australia, reach out to us and we'll connect you with Josh. So yeah, either me or the team guys, there's 11 of us all together. Um, definitely can't do it all by myself. I've got Jake and Jeremy with me here tonight as well. Look, combined, we've probably got over, I don't know, whatever it is, 150 years of experience. Like I've been a broker for almost 14 years. Some of the other guys have been 15 to 20 years as a broker. Um, so he started not... when he was 15. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I started almost the same age as Beck when I started. I was 22 when I started, um, got into property. My wife's in property as well. So we just live and breathe. Every dinner discussion is a business discussion about property and finance. So it's just what we do. So it's a bit of a career and a lifestyle for me more than a job. So yeah, we love it. So if we can help it all guys or the team, we're all the way down in Bunbury, all the way up to to North as well. So we're quite spread out. So don't mind the travel. So happy to help where we can. So everyone, why don't we give uh, Josh a hand for answering those questions. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, so we've got Alex Luck. Now, Alex Luck is one of our uh, trusted advisors in Western Australia. So anyone who reaches out to my website, sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and you're in Western Australia or Perth, whatever, I'll introduce you to Alex if you want a financial advisor. And thanks so much for uh, looking after all our listeners. Yep, no worries. Um, Good to be here. Yeah, so um, is Dana Leslie here? Come up, Dana. Thank you so much for coming. Give her a hand, everyone. Dana is a geologist. Now, do you remember what you wrote? You don't have to. Oh, and also, who's got my coin? Guilty. Oh, so so as a geologist, is that really silver? I don't know. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. (laughs) 
So my question is, how do you find a balance between saving, investing, contributing extra to super and pumping in money to a house mortgage? Yep. So this is a, a pretty common question that we get from, from most people that come to see us. They um, obviously listen to the podcast and um, done their own research and stuff like that. And they, yeah, they're just obviously pretty keen to get started and obviously, you know, do something, which, which is great. What we try to do um, and what I'll try to do now is basically take it back to, I guess, what your, I guess, your ultimate goal is. Um, so we do a, a piece which you know, sometimes sounds a bit wanky, but with our clients, what we call sort of goals determination. So it's really trying to take it back to, well, where do you want to be or what do you want to do or what, what do you want to be doing, for example? Because once you sort of ask that question, then the strategy follows of yeah, investing, putting money into the mortgage, saving, sort of whatever it is. And then obviously after that, it's, you know, which sort of product or, or do I use or which vehicle do I use to obviously sort of achieve that? So... I guess my question back to your question would be more, um, yeah, what are you what are you sort of looking to do? Have you had had to sort of think about you know where you sort of want to be in the next year, two years, five years, or something like that? Yeah, I want to start like an investing portfolio. Okay, so yep. So, about, are you looking to potentially buy a house soon, or is home ownership important? Yeah, to yourself? so I'm building at the moment. Currently building. Well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And did you go through, like, did you have um, the deposit and stuff like that to save for that? Or Yeah, the deposit's yep. gone through and we'll just So you had the 20% one. and stuff like that? Uh, less than that. A little bit less than that? <laughs> yeah, that's all right. So, again, um, when the, the house is finished and stuff like that, you're going to have this, you know, this, this big-ass mortgage, which, which everybody sort of has to begin with. So, again, probably what, what I would do would come back to, I guess, then, then your cash flow. So... Once you take on this mortgage, often it's, it's a little bit of a shock to begin with because, you know, you're used to being able to buy drinks or go out or do whatever you want, whatever sort of floats your boat in terms of that. Um, but then if you're able to sort of then do the analysis of, okay, you know, the mortgage is going to cost me, you know, X amount of fortnight or X amount of month or whatever sort of it is, it's then can I get then quite accurate with the amount of money that I have left remaining, okay? And if you do then find out that you have money left remaining, then it's, okay, well, what do I want to do with this money? So, for example, then, if you do want to invest, that may be because, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years' time, I don't want to have to work full-time, for an example. So then what sort of vehicle can I use to do that? And then, then yeah, obviously investing is potentially a way to sort of do that. But what we do a lot of is really try to get specific with how much money you actually have as a surplus. So, you know, we don't, you know, a lot of clients come to us and they've done the Glenn James spending plan, um, free plug. The Everest spending plan is significantly better, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so you didn't give it away tonight. Though, uh, it ain't free, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that's really what I would encourage is, I guess, just really getting around as, as much as possible what, what that surplus is because you're never going to be able to do anything, everything, sorry. You know, you're gonna, you've got a finite resource. You can only earn X amount of money. There's only X amount of time um, in a day. So as much as possible, it's just trying to link it back to that, to that goal. Yeah. So just finally, from what I'm hearing, Dana probably should get the house done let the cash flow settle, yep, yep. then work out what we want to do. Yeah, definitely. And for, for people that have just purchased a house, like it, it can be a bit of a shock. So yeah, let the dust settle, see how that goes with your cash flow. If you are then finding that you've still got lots of surplus left after that, then it's thinking about, okay, what do we do with that remaining surplus? Does it go to super? Do I invest it? Do I save more money? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Give her a hand, everyone. Thanks, Dana. Now, I think it's important question because once you settle on your house – you, you might decide, oh, I need to do the back lawn. Oh, and then I need to do this. So there's no point really investing because you just might have to sell the investment to pay for the new freaking lawn. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, again, what we talk about, I guess, with our clients is like in the next year, is there any sort of big purchases that you need to have? Like, yeah, do the fence or something like that. Or, you know, do you normally like to take a holiday every year? If so, you know, what do you like? Where do you like to go? Oh, I, I love to go over to Europe or I like to go over East or whatever sort of it is. Or what does that normally sort of cost? Oh, it costs sort of five, ten grand. Okay, have you factored that in? Oh, no, not really. I just kind of thought, you know, on a whim we would go. So we try to, as much as possible, factor that in. Um, likewise, it's, it's, there's no point, you know, putting aside a whole bunch of money if you're then going to have to keep just pulling it yeah. out. Yeah. So what you're saying is you can actually plan your life. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, does anyone else want to ask a random question about anything to a financial advisor or I'm going to make some questions up? Oh, Hello. Hey. I haven't said hello to you yet. Hi. What's your name? Ellie. Ellie. Nice to meet you, Glenn. Hey, Glenn. How can you make your super work for you when you're living overseas? Living overseas, okay. Well, if you're living overseas, then you're not going to be able to necessarily contribute to your super back here. So really I would answer that question as I would answer the question of how do you sort of look after your super anyway. Um, and the main things that we really focus on are, you know, making sure that your, your fees are nice and low, okay, so you're only paying as much as you need within that super fund. And you're also invested correctly um, for your current stage of life or your risk profile. So making sure that those two things, and that can go a really long way um, to sort of adding easily a couple of hundred grand to your end balance. Um, when you're able to access it in your 60s. And are you, you can just give us a nod, are you planning on moving back overseas? Not back, actually, I'm from Aussie. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're planning on moving overseas in maybe 15, 20 years. Yeah, cool. Uh, and it's funny because a lot of people will ask, I live overseas or I've moved overseas, what can I do with my super if I've left the building, yeah. aka the island? Yeah, absolutely. So you, you are able to access it and bring it over. Um, but yeah, bear in mind that there will be sometimes, uh, particularly like obviously for people that are, I guess, not nationals to here that come over and work for a while, then they want to go back home. Often you will get you will get hit with quite a large tax bill to, to pull it out. Um, but that's that's pretty similar as well, sort of vice versa. Um, if you are coming over to here, live here permanently and you want to pull, pull your um, you know, pension or sort of fund from, from that country as well. But if you're moving over... Seas. What country are you going to go to, do you um, think? Spain. Sure. Yeah, Spain. Spain? Yeah. yeah. So basically if you move – so I've got two friends that have moved over to the States and they're Aussies. They can't touch their super. They've got to wait till they're actually the age that Australia says that they're retired because what were happening, people were moving overseas and going, oh, I'll get my super and spend it overseas – and then they'll be like, all right, we're going to go back and retire in Australia and milk the pension. So the government's like, uh-huh, well, we're going to stop that. Yeah, uh, so you have to be, yeah, yeah you, basically you have to meet, meet quite a few strict conditions of release to be able to do that. Yeah. James has a question. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Alex. Um, hey, in terms of uh, investing, would you, would you be better off like um, doing extra contributions to your super or like just investing in ASX, like, you know, 300, like vast ETF? Yep. So again, um, it, it always sort of comes back to, I guess, like, you know, what your goal is. So obviously I'm going to assume you're a millennial. Okay. So you've got quite a long time before you're going to be able to access your super. So from a pure numbers point of view, generally investing is always going to be better in your super fund because it pays a much lower tax rate than what you would have to pay in your own personal name. But again, it comes back to a, you know an accessibility point of view. So putting money into your super is going to be great for your retirement, but 
just having a look at you, I would say you've probably got sort of 30, 40 years before you're going to be able to access that investment if it is inside super. Whereas investing personally, obviously you can pull it out or put it back in whenever you, whenever you want right now, but you will pay a higher tax rate. Any other yeah. Um, my question is just in regard to regards to investing. Is it worth like micro investing or are you better off saving up your money and then putting it into like putting in like larger yeah. chunks? Yeah. Again, it comes down to I guess your transaction fees. So there are a lot of great sort of apps out there right now, like um, you know, Raise or Spaceship, I think are some of them, which allows you to micro invest. I think Comsec Pocket's another one, which allows you to yeah, to micro invest at a very, very low sort of transaction fee. Um, whereas before traditionally with the other sort of platforms, you know, it costs you sort of 15, 20 bucks or something like that to buy a share. And you have to obviously have a minimum parcel as well as part of that. So I think those those new apps are a great way to obviously not only yeah, start putting some money away, which hopefully is going to earn a better return than just money sitting in a bank. Um, but likewise, it, it gets you familiar with that. So then when you do have more money in the future, you're much more comfortable, I guess, sort of now upgrading to one of these larger platforms as well. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah. James? Um, so quick question. G'day, Alex. James. Hey, James. How are you? Um, what up? I just thought... When is a good time to seek personal financial advice as opposed to general advice? So is there a, a sweet spot of annual salary or investment portfolio level to where you would want to start getting that more personal tailored advice? Yeah. So again, this is um, somewhat a, a personal, I guess, question to ask yourself as well. But generally, I guess, when we do get asked that from time to time, and obviously the, the main sort of, um, I guess, demographic that we work with is sort of millennials, I guess as a general sort of rule of thumb in terms of, I guess, our ability to be able to help you, because we obviously do have, you know, minimum floors that we have to obviously charge to cover our costs. It's normally sort of once you're starting to work full time, that's generally when we're able to provide some advice that you are going to be able to get value from. Um, in the interim, like, you know, Glenn will flick people through from time to time that they may be 18 and they're still in, in uni and stuff like that. We're more than happy to obviously have a sort of five, 15 minute call with you at no charge to sort of just point you in the right direction. But in the, in the interim, um, there are a lot of great resources out there. And I guess um, sort of- Do yeah, you know what, any podcasts? Uh, Equity Mates is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, obviously, yeah, podcasts like My Millennial uh, Money are a great place to start um, for your fundamentals and stuff but like that. But on that, like, I was a financial advisor before I did all this stuff. I honestly think my goal in the money ecosystem is to get society to a point where I'm out of consumer debt, I've got my emergency fund, I've got my cash flow in place, now I can go get advice. Because if someone comes to you like that, they know that, okay, I've legitimately got $200 a week left over. I mean, there are cases where you can go and see an advisor if you are in debt or you don't have your emergency fund for the accountability piece, Yeah, yeah, which is very important. So if you keep going around in a circle and you can't save money, you can't get out of debt or whatever that is, you might have to pay an accountability coach just to help you. Uh, any other questions, Sarah? Um, in terms of like seeing a financial advisor, what is the average like cost and what does seeing one entail? Like, is it like a weekly thing where you touch base or obviously I know it would be a lot depending on how often we wanted to see you, but like, what would you recommend? Like how often and what are the costs? How it all going works. With yeah. It? yeah. So again, that's, 
there's sort of, I guess, a thousand ways you can sort of answer that question. How, what, what I'll do is I'll tell you basically how we work or, or what we do because that, that, again, is, is, is a very common question, right? People are sort of – they want to know what it costs, you know, what, sort of, what are they sort of committing to, stuff like that. So how it works um, at our business, Everest Private Wealth um, – <laughs> Free plug. Uh, basically, you people, paid for it. <laughs> we did, yeah. People would come in and see us, and we have a we have an initial meeting with them. And and the way we sort of describe that to, to people in terms of how it works is it's a chance for them to ask any sort of questions that they've got. We'll do our best to answer them. Um, we'll explain how we work at a high level. So if you come in and we we can sort of say, look, you know, you would need help with some investing or your super or your cash flow or your insurance or whatever it is with that, we'd explain to you at a high level how we help clients with that. So you get a good feeling of basically what we would do in the background. Um, we run you through the process so you understand roughly how long it would take, what's involved by us, what's involved by you, how many meetings we would have. And then at the end of that, we have a pretty good idea, um, basically how much work it's going to involve for us. So then we would tell you, okay, look, if you want to go ahead, this is what we would charge for that. Um, that's that's how we do it. So I can't really – there is no, I guess, sort of, you know – But, I mean – it's like I'm, I'm going to the wrist specialist next week because I've got to get some surgery. I know that I'm going to rock up and it's going to be at least $250 for the 15 minutes. Like just the cost of him doing business. But for you, advice with all that, I would probably say once off advice, at least $2,000. Yeah, yeah. It will be at least that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But don't be afraid to pay for advice. Uh, I did a deep dive with Vince uh, last week and I was like, why do people will go and buy an air conditioner for $2,000 and they get their living room cooled but freak out when they want advice on their own personal financial situation which could change their life and they're bitching about, can I say that, whatever, a couple of thousand dollars. Like, but we don't know, it's not tangible. Yeah, exactly. And we really find that that's why we do that initial meeting at no cost because then it, it, it gives you like a really good flavour of what value you're going to be able to get out of it. And we tell people at the end, like, we go through the whole thing, you ask all your questions, we're as transparent as transparent can be and then you decide at the end, I've now got all the information, I know how it works, I want to do it or, you know, thanks for your time but no thanks, which is, which is perfectly fine as well. Sweet. Well, give him a hand, everyone. Um, so I like so like the advisors on my panel, we send enough clients to them that they they just don't have time to screw around with people. If they think that we can't help you, they're not going to try and sell you a two thousand dollar plan because if they just go, no, you're not ready. All right, sweet, you'll go back in a couple. You know what I mean? So yeah, he's a legitimate dude. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening and I hope that was encouraging. And remember, if you are in Western Australia, Perth, and you need a decent mortgage broker or financial advisor, you can go to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and I'll likely introduce you to Alex Luck from Everest Private Wealth or Josh Buell from Finext. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you soon. Bye. Oh, I'm booked in to get my wrist surgery because uh, I just re-listened to this uh, in August. So there you go. All right, bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info.
If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.